passage to read. Um, it's, it's quite beautifully done as, as, a, as a work of literature, but as soon as you start to let the implications of it hit you, it's a hard passage to read. Can I put to you, it's a beautiful passage, and it's right at the heart of the way that Christians have to minister grace. And what do we mean by minister? Minister means to actively love. It's an act of, an act of love. Minister isn't just you know, presiding over communion or, or preaching. It's, it's, it's actually doing something to love. That's what happens when you minister. So it might include those things, but it's much wider than that. Minister, grace, and love. This passage is central to it, I think. Um, it's up, up, for, up to you and the Holy Spirit to decide if I'm right. So let's read through it. Um, if, if you've got a nice new Bible and you pew, it's worth getting this. I mean, you can follow it here, but what I would quite like you to do is to ha- have your Bible open so you can look at it. You can check what I'm seeing. Also, if you get really bored, you can just go and read it yourself and actually ask the Holy Spirit directly and just bypass me. I don't mind that. Okay, I, I, I can't tell you what page it's on. So Jesus, this is, this is teaching from Jesus on, if you like, what, what's happening at the end. And it's quite complex. There's quite a few chapters at the end of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is talking about what happens at the end of things. And we don't know when that is. We have no idea. Tonight, tomorrow, year time, 100 years time, we have no idea. But there will be an end. And Jesus says... When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit in his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. See why I told you that story about the sheep and the goats? He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So you realize we're not talking about real sheep and goats here. We're we're talking about people. He's he's using a picture. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is the lovely part. Then the righteous said, yeah, we know all that. No. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to eat? You can hear the astonishment in their voices. When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or needing clothes or you needing clothes when do we see you ill or in prison when do we go to visit you the king will reply truly I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me astonishing story but it hasn't finished this is the hard part Then he will say to those on his left, remember he separated them into two groups, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's actually dreadful. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was ill and I was in prison and you did not look after me. Then they will answer, Lord, do you notice it's the same words as before? It's the same words as the other group. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you can almost see him pointing round the people who are round about him. A whole big, big crowd with some of the poorest people around, some of the richest people around. But to one of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord God, thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to to interpret these things. And you talk not just to preachers at the front or people leading Bible study groups, but you talk to your people as one. And you're very clear when you talk. When you have a message for us, you're very clear. Help each of us individually. And also those of us who belong to your church, who know what it is to have Jesus living in our lives, discern what this means. And Lord, for those here who don't yet know your son, Jesus, I pray special grace. I ask that you would would minister grace to them, that they would see you for the first time that they would love you and that they would turn to you. Um, help us now as we, as we think through just what this means for us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Five, four things about ministering grace and love. First one, ministering grace and love is not setting out to do good works. Now that might seem a bit strange. Some elements of the church have been really embarrassed by this story. Because they think it looks as if, as long as you do good things, God will be happy with you. That's what it looks like. But do you notice something? Both parties had no idea the impact that their lives were having, positive or negative. Neither of the parties had any idea of what they were doing. They were just living life as they would live it. For someone who belongs to Jesus Christ, who has the Spirit of God inside them, they, they should live in a different way from people who don't have the Spirit of God. There should be a different life. That's sort of fundamental. As Father Ted would say to Dougal, it's part of the job description. There, there should be a fundamental difference. Because we live life with Jesus within us. So it's not quite so much about what you do although that's really important, it's who you are that makes you do what you do. Did you get that? Because it's a a vital difference. Because we are not saved by just being nice. Because most of us can't actually manage that anyway. We are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. The whole of the Bible says that. It's really, really clear. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Does that mean that that's it, we can all just go home. No, because people who are saved by Jesus Christ are then indwelled by Jesus Christ, by his spirit, and you live a different life. And you live a life which is geared towards him. And being geared towards him, you do things that you feel are starting to come natural. Your old life disappears, and he gives you a new life. Sometimes you can say, oh, I'm going to try harder. 
If you're like me, it normally fails. Lord, really help me get through this day. I just pray that, that I will just really glorify you and everything that happens today will be fine. And then I get up and there's like one of the kids there and that's it and it's gone. That's very much my experience. I would love to say, to, to say more. Without the Spirit of God, John Spicer is stuffed. Without the Spirit of God, you're stuffed. That's not the way Jesus planned it, though. He didn't want us just to try harder to please God. God loves you. You can't, you can't make him love you anymore. And then Jesus, he made a way for, to go to him, to come to him. And people who are Christians, with the Holy Spirit, live a different life. Or should. It's not what you do. It's who you are that makes you what you do. And as a Christian, you're a child of God. You're not just some broken piece of machinery that he's sort of saved and rebuilt. You're a child of God. And the family likeness has to come through. One of the things that terrifies me with my own children that sometimes is seeing that family likeness. Because sometimes with me, it's not that great. Okay, now if you're different, that's good. Um, but, but when the good stuff comes through, it's great. It's one of the finest feelings in the world. When you're doing something and one of your children just do something, you just see, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's Spicer-esque. Is that a word? Yeah. Is that, that's Spicer-esque. And you see it and you think, wow, that's amazing. Well, I tell you something, I think that's in the heart of God every time one of his children just look his way and say, I want to be like you. For years and years, people in churches have said, theology is really, really important because it determines your behavior. Right thinking about God determines your behavior. And the first thing to say is, that's right. That is right. Right thinking determines your behavior, or at least thinking determines your behavior. But if you want to find out someone's theology, the way they think about God, very often it's not that good to talk to them Because all of us can do this. All of us can do this. And I know that fine well, because if you want to see someone that lives like Jesus, look at Fiona. If you want to see someone who can talk about living like Jesus, talk to me. Hopefully there's a bit of a joke in that, but it's actually a serious point as well. If you want to see someone's theology, watch the way they live. That's how you'll find out what they actually believe. Not necessarily by what they say. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. And our own thoughts and stuff really do screw us around. But when you watch what people do, you can very often see what they actually believe. These people who said, when, Lord, did we see you this? See, they're doing that naturally. Or supernaturally. They didn't see it as particularly special that they were looking after people that nobody else cared about that they were spending their valuable time looking after the so-called scum of the earth and treating them as if they actually meant something. It didn't dawn on them that that was an exceptional thing for them to do because they're just doing what their father does. They're just doing what they see Jesus do. Does this resonate with you at all? Because it's really, really important. When it comes to something like grace, grace, God's undeserved favor, A way of putting it is, grace doesn't have to do things, but it does. Grace doesn't have to do things, but it does. As a Christian, 
Not everyone here maybe has to go out into the street and evangelize. Oh, thank goodness you've got the get-out-of-jail-free card. It's good, isn't it? Not everyone has to, but very often it does. Love sometimes doesn't have to do something. You know, there are things that you can do which meet the minimum requirement. What sort of son of God or daughter of God wants to just meet the minimum requirement and move on? It's not a very good child. And yet, many of us, if I'm, if I'm tarring you with the same brush as myself and it's not true, I just apologise. Many of us go for that minimum requirement just to get by. What do I have to do that God's not going to come back around and smite me one? What can I get away with? I know I've got to love because it's part of the job description, but what can I get away with? Oh Lord, I'm just so busy. I've got a prayer meeting tonight. I can't do that. I don't know. Do you see yourself in that? Or is it just my sort of um, strange stuff? How do, you, how do you minister grace and how do you minister love through the Holy Spirit? Where do you get your theology from? Because it's quite hard, isn't it? Grace. You, you, we, we have to show grace. We have to show love. We have to show the, the, the will of God. We have to show the truth of God. All those blooming things together. And I, I mean, I wasn't here this morning, but I can imagine Ross was looking at some, what some people call the tension between the, you know, truth and grace. And we talk about it. You know, t- there's gr- truth here and there's grace here really funny in John's gospel it doesn't put truth here and grace here it puts them both in Jesus Christ and if you want to find out what it looks like to live as a Christian you don't sit there and dissect grace the, the great word and truth and love you can do it but you want to see it live a good analogy is that when, when, I, when I teach people how um, animals work we, we split it up and we look first of all at the circulatory system, the hearts and the blood and all that sort of thing, and we talk about that. And that's, that's quite interesting. But of course, no living organism is just a big, big circulation, a big pump. On top of that, you have an excretory system, a whole load of rubbish to get rid of. Now, if you look at the excretory system and if you look at the, the circulatory system side by side, well, you just think, well, how does that work if that works there? Actually, that shouldn't work here. And there's all sorts of contradictions. But do you know something? In a living creature, it works. We look and we see, oh, Lord, there's a contradiction here between love and grace and truth. Oh, which one will I pick? Look at Jesus. What did he do? Right, so the next reading is just to take every single thing about Jesus and look and just say, look at the way he does things. Look at the way he does things. Because what he does reflects what he believes. And what he believes is that I will only do what I see what the Father doing. Ministering grace and love is not setting out to just work as hard as you can to be as good as you can. Much though in some circumstances that might be a good idea. It's relying on God the Holy Spirit to give you the power to live the life of Jesus Christ and whatever that means and not just to tick the box I'm a Christian therefore I love yeah I can just about do that I've reached 75% the past mark was 70 it's not what you do 
We want to be like Jesus. Oh, please, I surrender one-tenth. I surrender. I will give 75% of my life to you, Lord. That's a big percentage. It's not what you do, is it, when your father is saying, come on, come on, let's, let, let's see you cycle for the first time. Actually, Dad, I can't be bothered cycling, is that all right? You go, oh, you try and cycle. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I've got pictures that help me. So, such a long time ago. I just remember wanting to cycle for my dad. And I managed. I mean, I, I, I broke my wrist. But I did manage eventually. <laughs> Sorry, a bad example. <laughs> but I was just so determined because my dad was there and I just wanted him to see me. And of course, he had a big rope. So it wasn't all just me. Ministering gr- grace and love is about the indwelling spirit living the life of Jesus through you and knowing what Jesus' life looks like. For any of you who think you're going to get by without knowing your Bible really, really well, you're in for a bit of a surprise. You can't do it. It's the only really good source we've got of what Jesus thought, what he looked like, and what he did. And what he did is, not was, is spectacular. And what he still does is spectacular. Don't not read it. Secondly, and this is the negative side of it, Ministering grace and ministering love to people, you get a chance to say no to yourself. Do you know one of the biggest problems in my entire life? Me. There is a part in John Spicer which actually quite likes the comfort of when I'm at the center of things. And if you don't believe that, I'm sure many of you are finding that really difficult to comprehend and it's going to ruin your evening because, the, of course, the facts and everything. Talk to Fiona, my wife. Talk to her, and she will tell you that left to my own devices, I will very often just go into this sort of thing where I look after myself. Now, I can still switch things on. I can still look pretty Christian. I remember once, as a young man, I had... Um, yeah, okay, it sounds like a boast, but just wait to the end of the story. We were in a Baptist church where we were involved in bringing youth fellowships together throughout Glasgow. And I did a great job, actually. Really, really good. People becoming Christians. We, we put things together. I was good. Yeah, I was, I was quite chuffed with myself. And a Baptist minister friend of ours, Mark Bowman, we were sitting at his table, and um, he was saying to me, so how, you know, how, how are you, John? You know, and, and what have you been doing? And so I, I started trying to think, right, okay, so how can I show off best, but without making it look showing off, of course, because that's bad. That's non-Christian. But, you know, I, I can, okay, I could, I could talk about this. And I could talk. So I started very gently just letting him know just how good I was. Um, and he was lovely. He looked at me and he, he nodded. And he said, that, that's great, John. Where are you with Jesus right now? And do you know what I said? I said, I'm really lost. I'm so far concentrating myself, I don't know. And he just took me by unawares. And he didn't judge me. Because, of course, he does, he's like Jesus. He didn't judge me. He just said, well, it doesn't have to be that way. Recognize that phrase. You get a chance not to think about yourself. Ministering love and grace, you actually escape from the tyranny of making yourself at the center of everything else. And driving other people absolutely mental. 
that there's something that drives people mental in church. It's the selfish religious person who can manage to manipulate things. Hand up here, I've just confessed I'm one of them. But it drives people nuts and it makes life very difficult. But the worst thing is it hurts our Heavenly Father. It hurts our Heavenly Father. And that leaves everything else behind. And it doesn't have to be that way. The indwelling spirit means that we've got the opportunity, the power to actually say no to ourselves and yes to being like Jesus. So the next time you have an opportunity to do something, um, should I give you this example? Yeah, okay. Oh, I sound such a bad person. Um, just, I was away this week, the week beforehand, I was walking down Mutley Plain and I was a, a bit self-absorbed thinking about stuff that I had to do. And um, there's, a, there's a guy who sells the big issue out here. And I, I just saw him in my heart just sighing. And I thought, oh. So I went back the way and crossed the road and walked on the other side, literally. I mean, the, the good Samaritan all over again. Walked on the other side. As I was walking the other side, I thought, oh, Lord, that's shameful. And do you know what the Holy Spirit did? He said, it's fine. Let's just turn around. We'll go back. Cross the lights and go by and talk. It's a very simple example, but am, am, I, am I just talking about myself here? Am I, am I just some sort of weirdo at the front that you're getting a chance to laugh at? Do you find that you put yourself at the centre of things? As soon as you don't want to do that, serve grace, minister grace, minister love to other people, and you get the chance to escape from that. And it delights your Heavenly Father because He sees the family resemblance. Third, Ministering grace and love is about big and small things. Look at the stuff that's in this passage. These people gave you a drink of water. How easy is it to get someone a drink of water? Even in those days, it was a bit harder because there was no taps, or at least there were very few taps. A drink of water. Come and see me. Spend some time with me. We're not talking here about, Lord, I will make sure that I give you a million in the first five weeks to do your amazing work over half of the Western Hemisphere. We're talking about giving a glass of water. Tiny things. Because it's not to do with the thing itself. It's you have the Holy Spirit who says, think of other people. That person needs a glass of water. So what you do is you just go and give them a glass of water. You don't think, okay, now hold on. There's the words of Jesus says, and I have to do this and I have to do that. No, you see need. And because you're like your father, you go straight to that need. That's what happens. And when you're thinking about yourself, what you do is you see the need and you do this. And you can dress, and the best thing to do is dress up in religious language because then you can get out of it. The Jews did it, we do it, it's a great thing. You can think of lots of different ways of manipulating your way around. Religious people have always done it to avoid the just seeing a need and just going and meeting it. And God's children, that's what they do. That's what they look like. What are the needs, even within this church, never mind outside? What are the needs? They're actually huge, and some of them can actually be addressed by tiny things. Are you so far looking down at your feet and looking at yourself that you can't even see the people around about you? Brothers and sisters in Jesus, what chance has the outside world got? Now, I'm just judging you by my own standards and I apologise if you're better than that. I really do. But I talk for myself first and I do that. 
in Glasgow, we've got a great phrase, which I'll roughly translate for you. It's, talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. One of the things that a lot of my scientific colleagues continually batter me with is that, yeah, use Christians, whoever that is. You can do this, but you're the same as everyone else. I'm not going to answer this question, but is that true? Now, I know we don't want it to be true, but is it true? Is it true in your experience in your life? Because it doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't. Ministering grace and ministering love to people is part of the job description. And we do it not because God has got a smite button, but because he's our father. Can you see this story is beautiful when it's a story of grace? And the people who miss out, they didn't even do anything really bad. It wasn't as if God said, you know, when, 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 I, when I asked you for help, um, all you did was, was machine gun people. When I asked you for help, you diverted all your money from here to here and avoided paying the, the sort of wages of tens of thousands of people. It was, I needed a drink. You didn't bother. Tiny little things. Those people who missed God's plan for their lives to meet the needs of other people. And it wasn't, in one sense, it's not a big deal. It's not even big things, it's small things. And yet those small things add up and show a person that is saying, God, I want me. And ultimately in the story, that's what you get. Do you realize that the the king here is not giving anyone anything that they don't want? When you say yes to yourself all the time, what eventually will happen is that's what you get. If that's really what you want, that's what you'll get. And it's one definition of hell. You get yourself. Whereas if you want God, because of Jesus, you get him. The Bible's really clear, very, very clear. If a man or woman loves me and obeys my commandments, his commandments are to love him, (laughs) my father and I will come and we're going to make our home. The word for home is heaven inside right now. That's the first lot. but big and small things. Finally, ministering grace and love to other people is ministering grace and love to Jesus. And this, if, I mean, I find if the incentive to be, to be like my Heavenly Father is not, not, not enough, what about the thought that the people that I'm called to, to serve, in whatever small or big ways, those people are Jesus. There's a man um, called Martin, Martin of Tours. He became a very, very famous bishop in the fourth century. But before he became a famous bishop, he was a Roman soldier. Um, and he was going into a town, I can't remember the name of the town, somewhere in France. He was going into the town that the army was going in and he saw a man who was absolutely frozen and, and quite near death. Um, and what Martin did was he took his soldier's cloak and tore it in two. And he gave this man half of the cloak just to keep him warm. And so he was just ending up with half of a cloak. You know, which, um, yeah, he, had a lot, he got a lot of trouble from the army anyway because he was a conscientious objector, which in the fourth century was pretty dangerous. But here he is, this conscientious objector with, with half of a cloak. And the story is that that night, 
he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw Jesus in all his glory, surrounded by angels. And Jesus was wearing half a cloak. And the angel says, where did you get that? And he says, my, my child, my sort of very young child, if you want to, I, I can't translate the, the thing properly. My, my child, my, my um, first communicant, my first little boy, Martin, he gave me it. Changed the man's life. Who are the people in your life where you've seen need? And you, just because of your Heavenly Father, you've gone instinctively to meet that need. Not because you have to, because there's lots of things where grace doesn't have to, but because you go beyond that. When are the times you've done that to Jesus? I've done that to Jesus. And that vision that Martin had, Martin of Tours, could be our vision. To see the people, and, and we, haven't even, we haven't done it for that reason, do you know what I mean? Because the guys up here, they didn't do it so that Jesus would say, well done. They just were saying, well, when did we do it? They were a bit surprised. Wouldn't it be a lovely surprise for Jesus to say, you met that, you look at this, look at that. And each time you're looking into the face of Jesus, not just the person or people that you served. That's a very beautiful thing. I won't dwell too much on the other side of it because it's pretty horrible. In as much as thinking even the last week or month, of the chance where you had to meet a need and you just didn't bother your backside because your comfort was better than theirs. Now, that's really horrid. The good news is that we have a father who knows our weaknesses and says, just say sorry and we'll work on that again. He never ever says to you, actually, do you realise that was the 247,642th person you really hacked off and just didn't bother with? That's it. 400,000 strikes and you're out. He doesn't do that. He never says so many strikes and you're out. He always says, okay, just say sorry and we'll go back and let's, let's go again. Well, we've got a good father. A really good father. So, ministering grace and love is not setting out to do good works but allowing the spirit of Jesus to live in you. Not trying your hardest but actually allowing him to live through you. It's about saying no to yourself. It's about big things. It's small things. It's about anything, really. And it's about seeing Jesus in others and ministering Jesus to others. So the challenge is, do you have the Spirit of God in you? Are you a Christian? Is your life battered around so much because you have no power to be the good person that you want to be? then tonight you can come to Jesus Christ and if you come to him and say, I want you in my life, then he'll come in and he will indwell you by the Holy Spirit and your life will change. Either dramatically right at the beginning or just over the first 60 years or so. Or probably both. Grace doesn't have, have to, but it does. Are you disappointed in yourself? Are you disappointed that, in fact, I'm saying this and inside you're feeling, oh, I'm such a failure? Your father doesn't want that from you. He doesn't want his children just coming and say, oh, I'm a failure. Yes, yes, you are actually, sorry. He doesn't do that. 
And he just wants you to come back and just say, just say, just say sorry and say, let's we'll go this way. It's called repentance, metanoia. You can call it what you want. But the bottom line is it's your father saying, come this way rather than go that way. You can do that. You can do that tonight. You can just say, I'm really, really sorry. I do go my own way. And this idea of saying no to yourself. Do you know, I've, I've met some people who are Christians who have never, ever thought of doing that. Now, I don't know how that works theologically. I have no idea at all how that works theologically. But it didn't dawn on them that actually saying no to what they wanted was a good idea. And there might be someone like that in here. That you, you might have a religious background, you might not have a religious background, but your whole life has just lived for you. Me, 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 me. And round about, you're not really people, they're just resources, people to network with. If you want to find out that there's real people round about you, and that you really are not at the center of the universe, and you want to meet the person who is, you can do that tonight. So the big and small things. What is God asking you to do this week? Start a missionary society? That's great. Go do it if it's the case. But if he's asking you to give someone a glass of water, or to meet up with someone and actually just talk to them for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, why not do it? Particularly if it's awkward. Particularly if it costs you. And it's going to be a bit, oh, why not? So learn to be a little bit like Jesus. And what about this seeing Jesus and other people? I, I get fed up in myself and I get fed up hearing with other people as well. This, you know, well, yeah, I hear about all these things that Jesus does. I just want to see him myself. I just want to see Jesus myself. Um, I want him to be closer. I want to see what he, what he does and what he looks like. Well, in that case, go to where he's doing things. Don't sit in a pew or at home, sitting to yourself, thinking, oh, if only you know, I could see Jesus a bit clearer, I might love him a bit more. Well, I tell you something, he's blooming active. He's blooming active. He's blooming active in this church downstairs and out in these streets. Go to where he is, and then you'll see him. Sit in your backside where you are and say, oh, I can't see Jesus. Yeah, okay, you can't, because he's out there. You're in the wrong place. If you want to see Jesus, if you want to minister to Jesus, go to where he is. Find out. And if you really don't know, don't beat yourself up. Ask some of the people who've been Christians for a while, where do, where do I go to serve or minister and to see Jesus? And they'll tell you. It's not rocket science. You don't need a degree in this. You don't have to go and study a BSc in getting to know God. I'm going to ask Ricky and the, 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 um, to, 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 to come up and play while we, I hand over to Ross to, to, to prepare for communion. Communion is really important because all those things I've talked about, I don't believe it's just me that's just going, I really do believe the Holy Spirit is convicting many of us here because without a church which reflects Lord Jesus Christ, we have a mess and we have a thing which people will look at and they will not see our God. They will not see our God. And it doesn't have to be that way. And communion is a great time because it's a time when our God, who does not judge us if we're Christians because of Jesus, says, just come a bit closer. Yeah? And if you've got stuff to say sorry for, say it. But that's not what communion's about. Communion is about when you get there saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, I can see you. Rost.